0: word had begun to spread about Jesus. Our gospel lesson uh, for this evening happened on Palm Sunday afternoon. The crowds had already greeted Jesus in his entry to Jerusalem, and in John's chronology, this was soon after his raising of Lazarus to life after being uh, dead four days in the tomb. Jesus was beginning to attract significant crowds, and they were even normal, or even larger than normal because this was a festival week, and folks had traveled from all over the known world to celebrate the Passover in Jerusalem. Word about Jesus had apparently spread to the visitors in the city. Some of these uh, Greeks or Gentile converts, got wind of this incredible rabbi, and maybe they had even heard of what he had done in cleaning out their part of the temple precincts from all of the commercial traffic, the selling of sacrificial animals, and the money changing that was constantly going on. They wanted to meet Jesus. So they came to the disciples and asked for an appointment. Now we never hear whether or not they got their audience, Instead, we get this bolt out of the blue about, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. A certain tingle of excitement must have raced through those who heard him. This was exactly what folks had been waiting for for three years. Now finally, Jesus would throw off the Judean Clark Kent disguise and become Israel's Superman Messiah. But wait... What follows in the gospel account is almost a stream of consciousness monologue that we who live on this side of the crucifixion and the resurrection can understand. But it must have left his original hearers in a fog. Put yourself in their place. There was that statement about the grain of wheat having to die in the ground before it can bear fruit. What has this got to do with the conquering Messiah? And that was followed immediately with, those who love their life lose it, and those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Then Jesus says, whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. Uh huh, finally, Jesus takes a deep breath and sighs. Now my soul is troubled. And don't you imagine that those who were standing there listening probably whispered "ours too. Suddenly Jesus lifts his eyes upward and he begins a conversation with heaven that is punctuated by what some hear as a loud clap of thunder and others insist is the voice of an angel. One way or another, it is most disquieting. Finally, Jesus said, I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Now you and I can know what he's talking about, but you can be sure that those who first heard him were confused. Notice something. Confused or not, they stayed. There was something about Jesus that did indeed draw people to him. It had been so since the night of his birth with humble shepherds and learned magi. As a boy in the temple, there were rabbis and scholars. As a man, there were folk from all walks of life, fishermen, tax collectors, to men like Nicodemus, the cream of uh, Israelite society, we might say. There were upstanding women and fallen women. The little children loved him enough to make such a nuisance of themselves that the disciples tried to shoo them away. Even a hard-bitten Roman governor would be mesmerized enough by him to disavow any blame for his execution. Why were people so attracted to Jesus? He came from no family of influence. He had no money. What was it? Was it the miracles? It might have been because there are always some who want to see a magic show. But on a deeper level, what Jesus must have embodied for folks was a sense of hope. The same kind of hope that ancient Judah felt when they heard the words of Jeremiah. The time is coming, says the Lord. In other words, you can take this to the bank. A new covenant. Peggy preached about the new covenant in relation to this same uh, passage a couple of uh, Sunday ago. I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. This one will be automatic. There's no way for us to blow it. And I will be their God and they will be my people. Several years ago, a school teacher accepted a volunteer position of visiting and teaching children who were uh, patients in a large city hospital. One day the phone rang and she received her first assignment as a new volunteer. She took his name and his room number and was told by his teacher that the boy was studying nouns and adverbs in his class before he was hospitalized. It wasn't until the visiting teacher got outside the boy's hospital room that she realized he was a patient in the hospital's burn unit. She was prepared to teach English grammar, but she was not prepared to witness the horrible look and smell of badly burned human flesh. She was not prepared to see a boy in great pain either. She wanted to hold her nose, to turn, and to leave faster than she came. But she couldn't just walk away. So she clumsily stammered over to his bedside, and she simply said, I am the hospital teacher, and your teacher sent me to help you with your nouns and adverbs. The next morning, the nurse from the burn unit asked her, What did you do to that boy? The teacher began to apologize profusely, but before she could finish, the nurse interrupted her. You don't understand, we've been really worried about him. His condition has been deteriorating over the past few days because he had completely given up hope. But ever since you were here with him yesterday, his whole attitude has changed and he's fighting back and responding to treatment. It's as though he decided to live when the nurse questioned him about it, the boy said, I figured I was doomed, that I was gonna die until I saw that teacher. And as a tear began to run down his face, he finished. But when I saw her, I realized that they wouldn't send a teacher to work on nouns and adverbs with a boy who was going to die, would they? A few years ago, the psychology department at Duke University carried on an interesting experiment to see how long rats could swim. In one container, they placed a rat for whom there was no possibility of escape. He swam for a few moments and then he ducked his head to drown. And in the other container, they made the hope of escape possible for the rat. And the rat swam for several hours before drowning. The conclusion of this experiment was just the opposite of our common conclusion. We usually say, as long as there is life, there is hope. But the Duke experiment proved, as long as there is hope, there is life. If we read the newspaper, or watch the evening news, we might feel like we're living in a world that's devoid of hope. Wars, natural disasters, the pandemic, the racial discord that we hear and see about, shootings one right after another, and add to that the countless homes where dreams are crushed down and aspirations are snuffed out each day, and we wonder how anyone survives in this life. We survive by the measure of our hope. The hope of your heart and my heart is Jesus.